Well, I was reading this story recently uh, by a guy named Michael Ramsden. He's now the new head of RZIM Ministries, and he was recounting a story of a friend of his who was speaking in Asia, and he, his friend asked this question of the crowd he was speaking to. He asked them to close their eyes. So I'm going to ask you right now, if you would, just bear with me and be, be safe and close your eyes. And he asked him this question. When I say the word peace, what do you picture? And then he asked them to open their eyes. So I'll ask you, open your eyes. And he asked people to stand up and say, what is it that you pictured? And one person stood up and said, I picture this beautiful field with all these lovely flowers and, and trees. And the second person said, no, I picture this beautiful alpine landscape with this picturesque snow on the mountain. And the third one said, oh, I picture this beautiful, still, calm lake. And they all went like this. And his friend remarked, he says, isn't it interesting what they all had in common? Within all those pictures, there's no people. <laughs> there was another family, and they were actually celebrating Advent, and they were trying to teach their children the meaning of these candles. You know, each one of these have a meaning. Uh, this first one here was last week, and it's hope. And every one of those have a have a meaning behind them. And so they were asking their children, and they asked their eight-year-old son, they said, do you remember the names of the candles? And the little boy said, I remember. He says, it's hope, joy, peace. And, um, and his little six-year-old sister piped up and said, I know, I know, quiet. <laughs> Why is it that when we picture peace, sometimes it's like nobody else around or very little noise? right, in our own individual lives. But, you know, people have asked this question, and you hear it a lot today. I think it's a common question. Is there such thing as world peace? I know that there are people that are trying their hardest, that are really working diligently, and we should join them, that are trying to accomplish world peace in our time. And some believe it's impossible, but others believe it is possible. Even with all the things that we see going on in the world today, some believe and they hold out hope that it's possible that we could come together and we could have peace in our time. In fact, one of those voices uh, is a former, uh, former um, security, national security advisor in the Carter administration. Zygniew Brzezinski said this. He says, genuine world peace, meaning effective consensus regarding shared sacrifices as well as voluntary cooperation, okay, you get this, is theoretically possible. He goes on to say, but world peace is unlikely because global power is becoming increasingly diversified and contentious. He's identifying the same problem, isn't he? It's us. We just can't seem to get along. There's this thing that divides us, and there's this thing that keeps us from agreeing with one another. And so this morning, we want to look at this idea of peace, but we want to look at the biblical understanding of peace because I believe the biblical understanding of peace will give us a much more nuanced, deeper understanding of what truly brings peace. The word peace is common in most languages. People can talk about peace treaties or times of peace. It means the absence of war. And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is erene, 
The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals are missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. The core idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. In fact, that's the basic meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom literally means to make complete or restore. So Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it. Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what's missing and you restore it to wholeness. The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting, it also means they start working together for each other's benefit. This state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate, and it rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of shalom, and his reign would bring shalom with no end. A time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. So in this second week of Advent, we light the peace candle. We light the peace candle. <laughs> or otherwise known as the Bethlehem candle. Because that thing that was missing, that thing that keeps us from actually truly getting along and having peace, that missing part isn't within us. God sent that peace into the world, into the world in Bethlehem that one night. In fact, the prophet Isaiah said that peace would be so great that it would end all wars. It would end all conflict. He said, end of times, he says, they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. We're going to take our weapons and we're going to for form them in, not to other weapons, but into farming implements so we can care for one another. And then there will be no more need for war at a time will come and there will be world peace. But Isaiah says that will be at the end of times. But he also goes on to tell us something else. He said that it's not something that you or I or even the best and brightest of us can accomplish. He says, no. He says, for unto us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah says, peace will come from God himself. A child is born, but a son is given. God himself will be that peace. He tells us that this peace will come in the form of a person. He says, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. God is sending 
the Prince of Peace, and it will be God himself, and God will accomplish that peace. Not just at the end, but from the time he comes from that day forever. Not just at the end of times. Isaiah says peace will come in the form of the Prince of Peace, the Messiah, the long-promised peace of God will come as a child. Now we fast forward to the Gospel of Luke, some about 700 years later. And Luke tells us of this story that is recounted to him of this one night where the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says to Mary that she is going to give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. Hear this, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Remember the words of the prophet? And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. It says, Mary, your son will be the long-awaited prince of peace, the hope of the world. His name will be called Jesus. He is the long-awaited prince of peace. Mary is overjoyed. Later, we read in Luke that sometime later, Mary and Joseph bring the baby Jesus to the temple as required by the law. And as they're walking up the stairs, they encounter this man named Simeon. And Simeon is there, and he's waiting Who do you think he's waiting to see? The Prince of Peace. See, the Holy Spirit has told him, Simeon, you will not die until you see his face. And so Simeon, we're told, is devout, and he is waiting there at the temple day after day. And Mary and Joseph come walking up the steps, and they're carrying the baby Jesus, and the Holy Spirit taps him on the shoulder and says, there he is. And Simeon is overwhelmed. And he goes over and he grabs the child and he takes him in his arms and he says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. My life is complete. What more could I ask? I have been made whole. I have seen the face of the Prince of Peace. I have seen God himself. What more could I ask for? I have shalom. He goes on to say, For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. He takes the child and he looks to them and he says, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Simeon says to both of them, he is the prince of peace. He is the salvation of God. But the peace that he brings will not be received by all. Some will reject him. Some who are awaiting this peace will reject him. Because what they're expecting is peace for them and not for the world. 
They want peace for Israel, but not for the world. They want this king to come and give peace to them, conquering everyone else. This peace was meant for them. And he says, no, it's going to be a sign not just to you, but to the Gentiles. And that will cause some to stumble because they were waiting for the wrong prince. And then he goes on, he looks at Mary, and he says, Mary, a sword will pierce your soul as well. You, Mary, he will cause you to grieve. He will break your heart. But he says something interesting. He says that a sword will pierce, pierce your own soul too, which means someone else is going to get pierced. The prophet Isaiah tells us that he was pierced. This prince of peace that he's been telling us about, this king of kings, he would be pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace, that brought us completeness, that brought us shalom, that punishment was on him. And by his wounds, by his sacrifice, we have been made whole. We have been saved by the prince of peace who gave his life who laid down his life so that we could have peace now and forever. That's the promise of the prophet. And Paul picks that up. And he says, therefore, since what God has done for you, since we have been justified through faith, since God has declared us righteous through the faith that he has given us, as we'll see given this morning in the waters of baptism, by that faith given... We have peace with God. We have shalom. We have been made complete. We have been made whole. That missing peace that causes us to fight and war against one another has been sewn shut, has been made whole with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace because of what Jesus has done. We have peace with who? With God. With God, we are no longer enemies of God's, but we are his children, as Scripture calls us. And we have peace with him. Like Simeon, what more could we desire? What more could God give us than to see the face of Jesus and to experience shalom? God gives us that responsibility of sharing that shalom, that peace with a world that doesn't know him, that thinks that he's this God of wrath and holy terror, and that he's displeased with everyone. But Jesus says, no, this is the year of the Lord's favor. Peace has come, and we have been called to be ministers of that peace. Jesus told his disciples when they go out, as he sent them in his authority, to go out and declare that peace to those and to every household that they walked into, to declare that the kingdom of God, the prince of peace that you have been long awaiting for, is here. He has come. And to give your peace to that household. And if they welcome you, they serve you, if they listen to you, then enter and stay there. 
and witness to this Prince of Peace with the peace that God has given you. But he goes on to say, but if they reject that peace, if they, if they turn you aside, he says, well, then just dust off your sandals and move on. Now, that term, dust off your sandals there, doesn't mean to look back with contempt, doesn't mean to cast judgment upon this house. It means to look at them and have peace with humility and with gentleness and to go to the next house, not to look back with disdain and, and, and call them names behind their back or leave there and talk about them or, or judge them. He says, no, just move on to the next house. Move on to the next person. Move on to the next conversation. And when you do so, do so humbly, gentle, kind, with much patience, as God has shown you. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. As people of peace, our message is one of peace. It is what God intends to turn the heart of those that don't know him. He tells Paul, and Paul tells us in Romans 2, 4, that it is God's loving kindness that is intended to lead us to repentance. It's the peace. It's the prince of peace displayed through us that turns the heart. And we are called to go and share that news with our neighbor, with our coworker, with the people in our own family. And as I say that, you're going, yeah, I, don't, I can't do that. That's going to be too hard. I mean, I know how people talk about these wackadoodle Christians that talk about Jesus and the Prince of Peace, and I look around the world and show me peace. And I know it's hard because it is. It's difficult. Jesus says it's going to be hard. He says, don't expect everybody to listen to you. Don't expect everybody to welcome you in. In fact, they're going to reject you. When you go and tell your neighbor and, and you go and tell someone at work or you tell someone in your family, you can expect some of them will reject you. Some of them will talk about you after you leave. Some of them will mock you. Jesus says to his disciples, they will kill you because of me. It will be difficult, but to do so with peace. Because here's why. Right before this section of Matthew 10, Jesus says this to his disciples. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Jesus said, some will tell you no, but look around. There are many in the world around you that will welcome you. There are many that are curious. There are many that are seeking answers to these questions. Many are seeking to be made whole. They feel this discontent in their heart, and it's exhibited toward their neighbor, and, and they feel like there's something missing. And we would say, yes, it's the peace of Jesus that's missing. And they're hungry to hear from you. But Jesus says, but the workers are few. Pray and ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest, into his fields, with the peace of Jesus. We, as followers of Jesus Christ, have peace with God, and we are called to be people of peace. As Advent people, we are to bring peace into this world. Not hateful Facebook posts, not angry texts, not 
critical means. We are to bring the peace of Jesus Christ. That is what this world desperately wants. The world's crying out for peace. And we are the one people that have the answer, Jesus. He's the only true answer. He's the only one that will make us whole again. And he's called you and I to be people of peace, to share that peace with the world. There may be some of you here right now this morning that are curious, are seeking answers to these questions, and you've heard things about Christians, and you've heard things about Jesus, but let me tell you here this morning, Jesus is a God of peace, a God who has made things right, and a God that so desperately wants everyone to know that. And that's why he sends us out, to share that peace with the world. And so I pray this morning that God would send out workers into these fields, into your neighborhoods, through you, into your workplace, into your schools, into your families, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. But I also pray that God continues to send some of you further. During this series, we've been highlighting our mission partners, where Trinity, where you who call Trinity your church family, contribute from your tithes and offerings for the work that goes on around the world and here in the United States. Last week, we were introduced to Ninos Con Valor down in Bolivia and Tyson and his family caring for 50 and 60 children. And you got to see the joy in their faces. They encountered the peace of Jesus in Tyson and his wife and his family and in others that come and visit. This week, we're going to look at Josiah Venture. Josiah Venture is, is, a, is a place, is, is an organization over in Europe. And we'll travel there this morning. And we'll look at what God is doing in this small country of Estonia. Estonia is the smallest country in Europe. Population about 1.4 million people. have only experienced political peace for about 80 years of their existence. They, they suffered under Russian rule for many years. But that was broken about 1991. Any of you heard of this thing called the singing revolution? No? 1987 in Estonia, still suffering under Russian rule. People gathered in their capital and started singing Estonian folk songs. Just singing against the orders of the Russian government. They sang, and they did so every year until 1991, when hundreds of thousands of people gathered facing the, Roman, or the Russian soldiers, and they sang. And the Russian army was called back to Russia, and Estonia, along with other countries, were granted independence. Not one drop of blood was shed. It was just through singing. The God of peace gave them their independence. But the sad thing is that through all those years of Russian rule, where religion, especially Christianity, was pushed aside and, and called nonsense, a large portion of the country is irreligious. 
Only 24% of the population identify as religious. Less than 1% identify as Christian. While they have peace politically, they don't know true peace. They've not met Jesus. And that's where this organization, Josiah Venture, comes in. They're reaching out to the youth in Estonia because that's where the revival is happening, is among the youth. The, the demographic 30 to 55 is non-existent in the church. That's why you'll find leaders in the Estonian church, not uncommon to find leaders 14, 15 years old, leaders in the church, excited about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ because they've met the Prince of Peace through those missionaries that are out in the, har out in the harvest, reaping the harvest that God has planted. Watch this. Greetings from Estonia. My name is Vahor Gobin and I am the country team leader of Josiah Venture team here in Estonia. And a little bit about our country. Uh, we were being occupied by the Soviet Union and the, by the communism for, for many years. And after the fall of communism, there was a whole new generation in Estonia that were being taught to ignore the church and avoid it and its message. I often think about King Josiah, the ruler of Judah. His country was full of uh, false worship, full of idols. And actually this has been even generations before him. Even his grandfather, even his dad, the kings of Judah were wicked in the eyes of the Lord. So he grew up in a pretty desperate uh, kingdom. But even though becoming king at a very young age, he chose to follow God. He chose to restore the, restore the reading of the God's word. He took down the high altars and false worship. And this is something what we want to see in Estonia as well. Young men and women, just like King Josiah, uh, restoring uh, the authority of God's word, restoring the brokenness and restoring the worship of one true God. Why Estonia? Estonia is actually one of the most secular countries in the world. And despite the success, despite the growth, people are hungry. People are spiritually hungry and the desire for something more. And we believe that God is on his mission and he wants to do something through the local churches. And we want to be part of that. you to be part of it if you love the Lord and young people then I'm asking you to be part and join us for this upcoming summer trip to Estonia thank you so much for your prayers and your partnership with us Josiah Venture does that through English camps and music camps and sports camps to spread the news of the Prince of Peace. And this morning, we're fortunate enough to have a young couple here, um, Yetta and Eric. Yetta is from Estonia. Actually, she met Eric when Eric went to Estonia on a mission trip with Josiah Venture to participate in a soccer camp there. 
And I, if you remember his video from a couple of years ago, he, Eric shared with us his experience, and he said the most exciting thing was he met this young man over there, and I think that was before he met Yetta. So uh, maybe he could amend that and say, maybe the most exciting thing was meeting Yetta, right? Yeah, so... <laughs> But anyway, so I just wanted them to be here this morning and share with you, I think, firsthand about what's going on in Estonia through Josiah Venture. Thank you, Pastor. Um, yeah, so the summer was just amazing. Uh, got to know a couple guys more. Uh, one I had been in contact a lot with, um, Martin, he's actually grows up in the Lutheran church. He's 15. Um, and as you saw in the video, and especially uh, the youth is really the only thing that they have, um, like you said, youth are the ones leading the services sometimes, especially bringing other people to church. And Martin is one of those guys. Um, I just see how much he works. He brings guys to church. He brings guys to the soccer camps. He spends just hours on us just texting guys, hey, you're coming, trying to set up these soccer tournaments, trying to bring guys there so he can share about his faith. It's just an amazing thing. Something that really is shocking every time I see a 15-year-old is the one who has to bring others to Christ. It's just an amazing thing to see, but also so sad at the same time when there's no one else who can do that. And it's just amazing to see how God is working through their lives. Yeah. Hi, I'm Yenthe. I am from Estonia. And um, no, Eric wasn't the best part that came out of the church. So I, um, actually, my story kind of begins with just had the father figures are really not around. The families are very broken. You usually you keep finding out more and more about like other siblings that you have that you didn't know about before. That's very common. So the kids there are very lonely. They're very broken. So the fact that the amazing is happening to youth is just amazing. And I work with the English camps. So my first camp was in 2013 when I was just a participant. I just came to Christ and I learned so much about the discipleship. What it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus, not just like have Jesus in my life and that's it. And actually, your church team um, was there in my first camp, which was amazing to discover that we found out when I announced that I came to the college. So we came here and found out, oh, God's been working in the all this time. But um, as I was in English camps, that I had this one wonderful girl there who she came there, she was 15, and um, every evening we had the sermons, every morning we had sermons as well. And we had a special time, a small group time, where we just sit in smaller groups to discuss about what we heard. Now, a lot of the kids, this is the first time they ever hear about Jesus. Because families don't really talk about it, because, like I said, no one is really Christian in Estonia, and it's heartbreaking. So, she has so many questions. The first evening she asked, Is God like Santa Claus? Like, does he, like, come around and grant wishes, or why would he care? And her questions went on, and we had a special time just for her questions. So she asked everything from, like, why would he care about me personally? How does he know everyone's names? Like, who is he? What does he do? All these things. Until the last evening of the camp. Usually it takes Estonians a lot, long time before they make the decision for grace, because they feel like they have very intellectual thinkers. They want to know everything before they make the decision, because they don't want the decision to be kind of like emotional impulse and then going back to their regular life. They want to know everything so that when they do give their life to Christ, it is for good. And it is forever. And it is something they take very, very seriously. So she runs up to me on the last day of camp and she's like, guess what I did? Guess what I did? I'm like, I 
earlier she got from like when you have this little award to give to someone that's been a really good example throughout the years. So she got that award and then she started reading this song where seeing the pants. And she came to us and she said, let me talk about the peace. She said, I've been fighting with my family my entire life. I felt like my dad doesn't care about me, or when I have a good relationship with my dad, then I don't have a good relationship with my mom because they're always fighting. This is so exhausting that I know I don't have to fight anymore. You know, Jesus, and I have peace in me. I don't need to fight because Jesus is with me. And actually, a really cool fact, even about the Estonian flag, is that the blue represents the blue sky, the black represents the black dirt we have over, and the white represents the peace. Peace in the spirit that people are constantly looking for. Oh, thank you. You said something to me the other day. The other day you were talking about all the youth that were, were, were coming to know Jesus, and I said, that's exciting, but you said that, yeah, but there are no adults. There are no parents. There's no one there to actually nurture and mentor and care for those kids. So it's really important that foreign missionaries, people come and help support and let them know that, you know, not all adults are like that, right? Yeah, so thank you guys. Yeah. I want you to mark this date on your calendar. January 11th and 12th, we'll have a member of our missions board here after each of the services to talk with you about every one of our mission partners and also to explain to you an opportunity for you possibly answer Jesus' call and go further into the mission field. There'll be mission trips this upcoming year into Estonia and to Bolivia and other places. And so if you want to know more about that, if God is tapping you on the shoulder this morning and going, that's where you need to go, mark that date on your calendar. We want to be able to hear God's voice, but also listen and do what Jesus says. I pray God sends you into his harvest because the harvest is ripe. Would you pray with me?